If you think we'll be insightful, clever, or just when we search, we're here to say that's not the case. We'll just go out and wing it. We are two guys, one cup. Hello, and welcome to Two Guys, One Cup Summer Edition. My name is Charlie Clawson, and this is a series we're calling My Club, where I talk to supporters of different AFL clubs and try and get to the bottom of their fandom and find out why they support the team that they do. And this week, I'm talking with Adam Zwa. He is a writer and an actor and a producer, creator of shows like Wilfred and Mr. Black, and he's also a Carlton supporter. Now, I was really interested to talk to Adam because uh, St Kilda and Carlton could not have pedigrees that were any more different. Uh, one, it comes from a long line of success and pride and power brokers, and the other one are the paupers of the AFL. Uh, so I was really keen to talk to Adam and get his take on what it's like following a club that was once great, but now is experiencing St Kilda-like symptoms. <laughs> Thank you so much uh, for agreeing to do the show. Um, I must admit, a lot of apprehension. Um, anyone who listens to Two Guys, One Cup knows that I have been so scarred by Carlton supporters in my life as a St Kilda supporter. Um, yeah. Every time there is talk of a blues resurgence or in the last like, you know, 10, 15 years, there's always that, you know, there's a little hint of excitement when they're about to play finals or, you know, and I always try and warn the AFL community, do not open the door to Carlton. Have you all forgotten what it was like? Uh. Because totally, mate, totally. You know, I, I there's two lots of supporters. I wouldn't probably you just mentioned before in the before we started recording it, you mentioned Hawthorne, but there's two main lot of supporters that it's almost impossible to romanticize to listen, romanticize about their football club. One's Collingwood and the other's Carlton. I mean, no one really, there's so much loathing there. Um, you know, for, for Carlton supporters, uh, they're generally of a certain vintage. Mm. Um, they look like they've been sold a, a Ponzi scheme in the eighties <laughs> <laughs> and it's gone fucking belly up and we've lost all our money. We've damaged relationships. Uh, some of us don't have families anymore. Um, it's yeah, we've um, bucket loads of tears <laughs> since, since 2001. Do you think the sort of large serve of humble pie that the Blues have been eating over the last sort of 20-odd years, do you think it's having a long-term effect? Because talking to, uh, you know, Richmond supporters, you know, we had Bernard Curry mm. on the first episode of the series and, you know, he <clears> sort of, you know, he came, he was born at the tail end of their success period, you know, was six years old when they won the flag in 1980 and then entered the wilderness and came out of that so appreciative of this newfound success, so generous. Like he finished the uh, interview by saying he wished that St Kilda could win a flag and that Melbourne could win a flag. Oh. He's handing that left, right and centre. Do you think wow. that, that when the Blues do return, you know, to be a powerhouse, do you think that they will have learnt some <laughs> lessons or do you think it'll just be straight back to how they were in the 80s? I want to say yes, uh, but I... I, I'm scared of no. That the problem with Carlton supporters is they have no understanding of karma. Because <laughs> um, they've never had to deal with consequences. Nah, no. They, they, remember there was that thing, you know, a few years ago where they said, we need to bring back the arrogance. We need to bring back the Carlton <laughs> arrogance. No. No, you don't. If you don't understand any universal laws, you realise that arrogance and flying too close to the sun and talking yourselves up and all that, it just invites God to kick you in the 
in the nuts, you know, and it's and it's happened time and again with the, our, our stupid football club. It's just, look, I came in, I don't know where to start, Charlie. I came into it, as I said, in the 80s, and I, I come from Cairns, and I had no understanding of this kind of silver tail thing that Carlton had. I, You know, I, all I was interested in was the Dominator and Bruce Duell and Fitzpatrick and all those guys, and I was just in love with the jersey, and um, I just, I thought they were also, it was always match of the day, and, you know, it was great. I, I, I absolutely adored it. I moved to Melbourne in 96, and who do you break for? Carlton. And just the, the hatred in people's eyes, and I'm going, well, what's going on? And, you know, I had no idea it was the club of Menzies and Fraser. And right. obviously knew John Elliott, but I thought that was kind of an aberration. And it, and then I understood this kind of, not only are we arrogant, we're very conservative, right-wing bunch Corrupt. of- Corrupt. <laughs> bastards, corrupt. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I've got so much to say about the corruption, but uh, it's, um, so there's that kind of, uh, so I had no idea, and then I then I learned about it. And Sam Pang and I, for years, tried to get a a, a coterie group going, the, the left wing <laughs> coterie group. I love and it. And to to his credit, Tom Elliott was really pushing it. You know, he thought it was kind of cute. Um, so you but, guys you know, could Sam- get up at the president's lunch and give a speech on the environment <laughs> or something like that, <laughs> or right. like strengthening social security systems and. <laughs> just like global warming come on um have a heart guys so yeah we, today's we, lunch is going to be entirely vegan uh that's right yeah <laughs> you know sam and i we don't have we don't have that follow-through right um so we didn't we didn't get it happening so so basically i i got to melbourne and you know so i was I had to deal with just the i'm going to say prejudice Charlie. When can a rich white club get a break? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and there was the one night when I was at the Herald Sun. Am I talking too loudly, by the way? No, no, it's good. Um, it was you're talking like I... a Carlton supporter. You're talking over me. You're talking loudly. <laughs> Sorry, mate. <laughs> and you're swilling a $200 bottle of Grange. <laughs> yeah, the, the, given to me by the Pratts. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, there was, yeah, anyway, but, you know, so it took a couple of years to get used to this, you know, the... the uh... And did you, in, so when you realised that was the perception, because, uh, you know, talking to uh, Scott Dooley, a Collingwood supporter, and, you know, that idea of, like, being the most hated club in Australia, and that kind of galvanises Pi supporters, they love that me against us. Did you feel, did you, did you adopt that kind of attitude of, like, oh, yeah, okay, well, you hate us, well, we hate you, or were you the guy, like, come on, man... We can work this out. <laughs> Mate, you know, I'm an actor. I want everyone to like me. Playing both sides? Yeah, I, I, I'm not I'm not one of your mates. Like, I'm not one of those guys that sends you an abusive message of Carlton Wynn beats you. That's it's just because I don't want it to happen to me, you know. Yeah. That, I'm like, it's such a kind of emotional, nice edge after some of those games that I just, like, I, I just can't deal with it. Um, so, yeah, I'm a very polite guy. Uh, supporter and and you know I, I was thinking about you St Kilda and what well, Will's Bulldogs isn't he yeah. I'm just, you know both the inoffensive clubs just yeah everyone everyone like 
Ah, oh, you're a bulldog supporter. Ah, oh, you're, you're a stone supporter. How sweet, yeah. you know? Because <laughs> we're no threat. We are non. We're non-threatening. No one has a bad memory of St Kilda in a big game, because we lose those. <laughs> you know, like I, I remember I had a mate who was an, a Bombers supporter, and uh, I used to love going to the first like practice match. You know, the first hit out they'd have the intra club, and so I said to my mate, "I'm going to Moorabbin. Do you want to come with me?" And he's like, "Sure." And as we're walking in through the gates, he said, you know what's funny? He's gone, if this was like Victoria Park or Princess Park, I'd be feeling a little weird. But he's gone, this place holds no fear for me. <laughs> I was wow. like, oh, that is the most insulting thing I've ever heard. What year was that? Oh, this would have been like mid-2000s, mid mid-2000s. So, so that Fraser was... Garrick was playing? Yeah, but I mean, I think he's talking specifically about Moorabbin, like in the, yeah. in, in the 80s. and Well, definitely in the 80s, we were a threat to no one. And in the 90s, the bombers didn't lose to us. I, you know, they they all, Carlton. We we squared the ledger up quite a bit in the last mm. twenty years, but mm. I think it is still the most imbalanced ledger between Carlton and St Kilda of all AFL clubs. But did you did you watch, did you read Saturday Afternoon Fever? Uh, is that Matt Hardy's book? Yeah. No, I haven't read it. Well, mate, when you come up, I'm giving it to you. It's it, unless you have a problem with Matt, Matt Hardy, which you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no problem with Matt Hardy. Seen a couple of his uh, shows. There was one. There was uh, I, uh, there was one incident with Matt Hardy where um, uh, Russell Gilbert was at the Village Bell and he invited Jason Gann down for a, a few beers, but unbeknownst to Jason, he also invited Matt Hardy down, and they walked in around the same time. And Russell says, "Beer, beer, yep, yep, okay." So he goes to the bar. And, Gets a biz, comes back. Matt Hardy and Jason Gann are punching on. <laughs> In the space of what, two minutes? <laughs> That's right. That's right. Just like both of them can fight and both of them just like, bang, they're swapping punches and Gilbo's in there, guys, guys. Um, yeah, it was, uh, it was, it made all, it made Hizzy Cade and Dave the next day. Uh, I remember. I remember it being talked about. Quite well, now you've said that, I, I have to say I have read the book. I don't want Matt hearing this and finding out that I haven't read it and coming and throwing punches at me. <laughs> I, I, do you know what? I reckon probably uh, Matt was the respondent in that situation as right. opposed to. Um, yeah, look, that that book for me is is probably one of the funniest Australian novels, and um, just the the whole uh, the way it deals with Trevor Parker and everything. I I just think and Moorabbin and mm. and. Um, and just that kind of wonderful St Kilda spirit, because I, I, I was at I watched the the um, the the Tide Grand Final in LA, mm. and with all the Aussies and Amanda's Collingwood, so that's my wife Amanda, just listeners, um, and she was the only Collingwood supporter there because everyone was Saints. There was a Saints collection, say five or six, but everyone else, because all the arts people just love St Kilda. And Eric Banner was there, I imagine, was he? <laughs> Eric Banner, <laughs> Reese Muldoon. They cut to him on the. They cut to Eric on the uh, in the ground. Yeah. And, and everyone, ah! so it's kind of like what they did with Will when uh, the Bulldogs, Bulldogs grand final. Yeah, well, I mean that Bulldogs grand final when you are playing one of those super teams like Sydney aren't in the category of Carlton or, or Collingwood, but. Uh, when you are the underdogs the size that the Bulldogs were going to that grand final, it was like Sydney versus Australia. And I think in that Collingwood-St Kilda grand final, it was the same thing. It's like if you didn't go for Collingwood, you're going for St Kilda. So that meant we had like, you know, five states backing us up. Oh, mate. 
Wow. So close. Yeah. yeah, let's not talk about that. Let's move on. So I'm interested, uh, if you arrived in Melbourne in the 90s, did you get a chance to go to Princess Park when they were still playing home games there? Uh, yeah, I think I did. I think I, 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 I think I might have even gone to, I went to the last one um, where Kurta held up the ball um, wow. right at the end. And I, I mean, that place was falling down. I, um, in those days, it was before Pratt put all the money in and, um, mm. and, and fixed it up. I, um, I do recall doing the pod, doing a podcast down there one day and, um, it was when Brett Radden was, was coaching <clears throat> and the head of PR said, um, oh, I'll introduce you to Brett Radden. And I went, Oh, great. Yeah, yeah, sure. And Rats was out on the ground playing kick to kick with his son. Um, and we're walking towards him and he's got that look in his face. Don't come near me. <laughs> Don't come near me. I'm with my son. I just want to, you know, this is some family time. Don't come near me. And I'm going, I'm going to the, the head of PR. No, let, let's, let's leave him alone. You know, let's, let's go back. No, mate, no, rats would love to meet you. No, 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 no. I, I think uh... <laughs> we should, we should go. And, but just before we landed there, I just went, sorry, mate, let's, let's not do this. <laughs> and, and I could just see the relief on Radden's face. And I, and he's like, I'm, like, I'm used to people not, <laughs> not wanting me to talk to them. Whereas the head of PR wasn't able to read the signals. Um, so yeah, that was there once I went, I once went down there, we were filming something when, when Pagan was coach and uh, he recognized me from an ad um but yeah oh, shit you know that's so weird you just that's so funny dennis pagan coach carlton i'd completely forgotten yeah because that's i guess that was he really inherited the mess didn't he i mean he oh. was really so he came across in what the early 2000s or the late 90s so he came after up, all yeah. the sanctions the draft sanctions and so he inherited that team that was just kind of crippled financially and and yeah. uh you know through recruitment right yeah, so I th I'm going to say 2002 or three. That's when he w when he got there. I think it might have been. I think it might have been 02. Right. Um, and yeah, so he didn't realise just how bad it was, and he didn't realise that they had no players. So he had to get Mick Martin out of retirement. Sorry, what was, I've got a mental block. Cal what was the Carlton Hall of Famer Mick Martin? <laughs> Mick Martin. <laughs> well, what was the? Uh what was the, the, the Ruckman from North Melbourne, Premiership Ruckman? Kind um, of Corey, Mc, Corey McKernan? Yeah. No, it was Corey McKernan. McKernan? Yeah, yeah uh, Corey McKernan. Yeah, he came. Yeah. Are oh, you going to Google it? Google <laughs> yeah. it. Um, I'm, I'm positive it's Corey McKernan. Yeah, yeah. He, he, was, he should have won the Brownlow, and he, but he was rubbed out for one game, that guy. Because there's a Sean McKernan who uh, used to play for Essendon. It gets confusing. Look, this is two guys, one cup, or an offshoot of two guys, one cup. We don't, we're not big on facts. It's fine. We retired. Right. We retired Jesse White three years running, and he was still playing. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, but basically, so so um, Pagan got there, and he just realised that you had no players, so he had to get all these guys out of retirement. And of course, Pagan's paddock didn't work with <laughs> with no Wayne Carey with or no Wayne Carey, yeah. anyone. Yeah. yeah, so it was a that was a particularly dark time. Then rats came and steadied the ship for a while, and we got Juddy, and that was that was amazing. And well, let's but, not let's not jump ahead because yeah. I, I want to talk about the Mick Malthouse mm. years. Let's just go back to that Dennis Pagan era because what I'm interested in is, 
as a Saint supporter, born into kind of like uh, uh, mediocrity, and that is most Saint supporters' uh, most common or familiar state is, you know, either terrible or, or mediocre, you know, and we have flashes. Probably the noughties, the, definitely in my lifetime, the noughties was the most sustained period of success, you know, like a, a six to seven year period where we played finals, two grand finals. Uh, but prior to that, you know, all of the 80s, um, you know, the, we had a one grand final appearance in the 90s. And and so it's easy for us to kind of go back into these periods. Like the last 10 years, although it's been exhausting, and I've questioned many a time about why I'm still invested in this game. It's easier to deal with because I'm like, oh yeah, well I've done this before. I I, I recognise the signals. It's like being in a loveless marriage where you just tune out, <laughs> you know, you just tune out and watch the TV, and it's just easier to stay together than get divorced. Um, but from your perspective, you're coming from a club that holds the record for the most amount of flags that is used to success, you know, and suddenly you get hobbled by the AFL, and you've brought in a double a dual premiership coach, you know, and suddenly you know, you fall off a cliff and you'd won a premiership only, uh, what, six years, seven years earlier. You'd played in a grand final five years after that. And now, like, it all goes, because it all goes to shit really quick. What, what is going through your head? What's that like? So um, I sat next to, when I was at the, the Herald Sun, I sat next to Mark Stevens, Glenn McFarlane, um, Damian Barrett. So I was... I because I, I was right entertainment. I was next to the football guys for some reason, and and it, I think it was the beginning of two thousand and one season, and I think it might have been Steve O or Damien Barrett going, just looking at Carlton Solicitor, it looks shit. <laughs> it's terrible. Um, and I'm going, oh, that that's just it's kind of confusing. It was like kind of being slapped in the face. That's that's weird. Yeah. And of course, you know, when we look, we hadn't bought into the draft at all. We just, you know, it was, um, you know, we, because of our arrogance, we overlooked things. We overlooked what was happening in the world. And um, so that was the first time when I realized that, and I tried to, I did my, my thing of just blocking it out. But then that, that, that season with Wayne Britton as coach, maybe it was 2000 or 2001, I can't remember. It, that was the season where I just, we won our first wooden spoon. Right. Um, and then I thought things might get better in a couple of years. Yeah. And, um, no, not now we're in the 20 year mark and yeah, I think it's been like, now I can, if you're asking me after talking to me after a game, I'm going to, I'm going to be going through all sorts of hell, but right now I think it's been good for us. (laughs) I think that the, we needed to be humbled. I don't think that, I don't think a group of people can, go around parading like that forever and, and not get away with it. Because if, if that is true, then that means that, that, that someone like Trump's not going to get punished or, you know, that means there's just no universal laws of kind of, of equality. Everyone needs, but, boun- everyone needs boundaries. Yeah. Boundaries and just being decent, a decent kind of AFL citizens. Yeah. And, and I think that's something that, that Carlton needed to learn. I think, and I'm glad they did. I think, Essendon are going through this right now. You know, I think that the drugs, uh, uh, drug supplement scandal was as big a kind of like, you know, um, uh, story as what happened at Carlton, you know. And I think that we got fooled into thinking Essendon had fixed all their problems because they shrewd recruiting and 
you know, a couple of young superstars come out. But I do think there is that intangible um, psychological aspect to any club or any team that when they've been through something like that, you don't just shake it off after a year or two. You know, sometimes it can be like, you know, um, for Geelong up until 2007, it was the grand final losses. For St Kilda, it was definitely the drawn grand final. That scarred our list for, you know, seven or eight years, I reckon. And I think for Carlton, like, it took a long time, and particularly a club that was not used to sort of being that, that end of the ladder. It took them a long time to come to terms with what that means, you know, not getting the primetime slots, not getting the crowds, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And I was, it's so painful just watching, watching a club just be useless. Um, I, I do think that with Essendon, it, it's interesting that I often think with the drug scandal, that Essendon being, Essendon had been kind of goody two-shoes for so long that they just couldn't come to grips with the fact that that had happened, you know, that something under, untoward had happened under, under Especially you know, with, Herd's watch. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, you think about it, I, I always joke that, you know, this will be the greatest sports uh, biopic of all time. You know, the golden boy of the Essendon Football Club. And yeah, talk man. about like your clean skins and your most beloved and respected figures, you know, that comes home to his club, you know, like this is the, yeah. you know, the, the heir apparent. And then everything that unfolds afterwards, it's just such a staggering fall from grace and such a huge story. Um, yeah. I guess at Carlton there was no single figure was there i mean there was john elliott sort of took a lot of hate for a lot of the corruption but it's not the same as having like you know um uh, uh steve kernahan you know directly responsible for everything yes. that happened yeah no I, but it, i was going to say with the Essendon thing if it happened at carlton we would have worn it and it would have been over a lot quicker but Essendon just couldn't come to grips with what had happened because we're used to being a bunch of crooks you know, we go, yeah, it's yeah we got caught. We're, we're Carlton. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what, what do you expect? Yeah, exactly. um, You're trying to bribe the tribunal as they're handing down the sentence. That's, that's right. It's like, this is, this is what happens. Yeah. Whereas Essendon is like, no, we, we don't do this. And it, at Cronulla, Cronulla got, that they, they took their medicine straight away because they don't have any sense of kind of importance or, you know, that this is, this shouldn't happen to them. Whereas Essendon did. But yeah, um, with Carlton, Obviously, John Elliott, it, it, that's a that's a big thing. And I had a conversation with Adam Briggs the other day, who's a big Essendon supporter, and um, I'd known about the rumour that um, a, a bunch of uh, Aboriginal women had put a curse on John Elliott and the Carlton Football Club. I'd heard rumours of that, and it's on you know Reddit forums and stuff. Right. And I didn't didn't think much of it, but yeah, it was it was, it was Briggs's aunt. Oh, really? It was he's a massive Essendon supporter, and it's his Briggs's aunt. And I'm just going, is there any, he goes, do you know about that? I said, every Carlton <laughs> every Carlton fan knows about that. He goes, oh, awesome. And yeah, and I'm going, can we do something to actually lift this curse? What can we do? You know? But I think they've. I think they've they cursed us and then they've forgotten about it and we're forever cursed. So uh, was there an incident that sparked the curse? Was there a game, an Essendon game or something that, that triggered it? Uh, I Well, no, I don't know, but I, I guess there's... I mean, there's enough the 90, reasons. The 1999 uh, prelim, uh, oh, which yeah, is the, the, the last uh, 
the last time that Carlton were Carlton fans were happy. Yeah, right. Um, it was uh, so. It's probably that I didn't ask. I didn't ask Briggs, but um, he's uh, yeah. It was his aunt and a couple of her friends. Yeah. Who knows how these things work? But we haven't played well since. Not I really. Mean, I would I would buy into that theory more if like Fremantle or Richmond up until 2016, if your failures were just like inexplicable. (laughs) Will and I coined the phrase Richmondy before they became Richmond as we know them now. And Mm. it was that idea that, you know, they were just, they they wouldn't just lose. They would lose in the most hilarious, like unexpected ways. You know, if there was a, if there was a bizarre way for Richmond to finish ninth, they would, they would finish ninth. Um, But I feel like a lot of the Carlton's issues have been self-inflicted. You know, I think definitely, you know, Wayne Britton and, and Dennis Pagan uh, walked into like a landmine. But that decision to move on Brett Ratton for Mick Malthouse, like, and I know there was a bit of press around it uh, this year because of Mitch Robinson did that interview. But at the time, what was your feeling? Uh, Jesus, mate, I'm so ashamed to say that I was excited about Mick coming over. Right. And um, now, in retrospect, obviously it was a bad move. But then you look at Rats, he's had what, six years under Clarkson? And then he yeah. goes to the Saints. I think you've got him at, at his best. At his and best. He admit, yeah. And he admittedly says that he's a different coach to the coach he was at Carlton. You mm. know? And there were issues that he had with, the, with control and, you know, being the, wanted to be like an all encompassing sort of manager and coach as well. Mm. Um, mm. But it was that. I was taught as Gemma, um, uh, who's not a sports fan at all. Um, I often have to explain like analogies to her <laughs> and stuff. And I was, I was talking to, I was trying to tell her about um, uh, uh, like an uh, like an actor um, getting a role or or being cast in something and then being replaced before they start principal photography or something <laughs> like that. And I said it's kind of like um, you know a team will jump out of the gates you know one season and, and sort of get ahead of themselves and they will load up for their flag tilt the next year that like completely yeah. overlook all the flaws on the list or whatever, all the things that are missing yeah. and just like complete, like it's a false storm. Like it feels like Melbourne had one of those a couple of years ago. They can come back from it, but sometimes it takes, you know, three or four years, like Port Adelaide, they left out of the blocks, you know, six yeah. years ago and then it's taken them that long to get back. It sort of felt like that was where Carlton were, you know, you had Chris Judd playing his best footy uh, prior to or roundabout when he won his second brown low really good uh, role players, exciting young players coming up. So you can understand the thinking behind, well, oh, know, yeah. let's get this premiership, this premiership coach, um, yeah. like triple premiership coach. Yeah. The, the problem is you're 100% right with, with all of that because what happened was we, we didn't pay attention to the detail and the detail was that we didn't bat deep. We had... We had Judd, we had Fev, we had the Mosquito Fleet. Um, I, there was um, we had Murphy, had Gibbs, who was playing all right back then. Um, we had Sam Jacobs, uh, who who went on and did very well in Ad- at Adelaide, as did Beth. A young, a young, a young footballer called Josh Kennedy. <laughs> well, yeah, he'd, well, le- he'd left the year before. Months, he? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, he'd gone for Judd. Um, so, so yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, you, so you didn't. So the cracks were definitely papered, right? And then I, I do, yeah. And then I, and then so we, I, we had that. I think we lost the second final against Sydney, and 
then the next year we didn't make the finals. And Radden at the time, you know, he was he was kind of he didn't present well. Right. He's so much more polished now as a media performer. I'm not saying he's suddenly all posh and eloquent and everything, but he's actually he's sold to the earth. He is who he is, and he and he's got a gravitas about him which he didn't have back then. Yeah. And so when you heard Malthouse speak, and you know, if you like, you know, I don't know everything about what it's like to coach an, an AFL football club, but from an outside outside perspective, I, you like the messaging to be right. And that's why Buckley's yeah. so good with Collingwood. I mean, he's so eloquent. And, mm. and, at that stage, Malthouse hadn't lost his mind. He was still eloquent. <laughs> <laughs> and so I was kind of excited. I mean, well, Rats obviously has taken us as Well, this. he had gotten to an argument with Stephen Mean on the field when he called him a rapist. So that was two years prior. I mean, there was a red flag. <laughs> I, yeah, that's, how did you feel about that? Uh, look, I mean, it's ugly. It's ugly yeah, in yeah, ways. Yeah. Like, I think... I mean, it's Stephen Milne is no angel, you know. And Nick Malthouse can be a massive dickhead. So I think what you saw was two dickheads at their absolute worst. Hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so I was like, yeah, I was impatient. Um, I thought Rats had, I thought Rats had done everything he could and could do. And so Malthouse came, and then Malthouse. I mean, people just started playing badly under Malthouse. You know that Mitch Robertson and Eddie Betts had the worst year ever. Um, and Malthouse didn't, you know, he just didn't. Uh, some of the players who were playing very well suddenly play, started playing very badly. But then, then Essendon got rubbed out, and we made the finals, and then we beat Richmond. There's your, there's your, uh, you know, your, before, your Richmond before tragic. our Richmond. Yeah, Richmondy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, do you think with the Ratten thing? I mean, I, I don't know how I feel about this theory, but. Hearing him talk about being at Carlton and, you know, maybe going from uh, being a player and going off and, you know, assisting other places and then come back and coaching at the club he played for might have put undue pressure on him. And mm. I do wonder that about a lot of clubs, well, I don't know if the clubs, but definitely amongst supporters, there is the kind of saviour complex where there's always talk about let's bring back player X to coach. You know, there's something romantic about bringing back, you know, your Nathan Buckley or your James Hurd or whatever and getting to coach. But um, talking to uh, Titus O'Reilly about the demons, you know, he said like, anytime anyone mentions that about like Gary Lyon, I'm like, why don't we get in someone who's, who's won games? <laughs> why don't we get in like, you know, someone with some like premiership experience? And I 100% agree. But I also think even if you are a Carlton or a Hawthorne, and you're bringing back that player with premiership experience. There's, it just put it just amps the pressure up because they have a legacy as a player, yeah. and now there is the expectation you have to equal or top your legacy as a coach. And as we all know, like coaching's fucking hard game, and not many yeah. guys last that long. No, no, I mean Vossi's such a case in point. Tim Watson when he coached yeah. the Saints with and no experience. Yeah, oh, exactly. That was terrible. Um, pre 2018 Buckley. Um, yeah. yeah, it's, it, yeah, I mean, I think you've got rats at the best possible time in, in his life. I, I think he's, you know, he's going to get you as far as you could possibly go as a football team. But so, yeah, he, he came back with a huge pressure under him. And I mean, you know, he was part of the glory days, you know, was such a big part of that, that, you know, that Kernahan period. Mm. And, um, and yeah, so, 
They, they, and it, we immediately started playing better when a, a more modern brand of football when he took over from Pagan. Um, and so he brought us kicking and screaming, kicking and screaming in the 2000s, I think, which was around 2005. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so yeah, there was that huge pressure on him. Um, uh, and, but he, we've got to be careful what, what Titus was saying about Gary Lyons. Interesting because we are drawn to people who, who speak well. Yep. And Gary Lyons speaks about football like nobody else. He's, he's fantastic, but can he coach? Ah, I don't know. He's done very well on the, you know, international rules series. He's, you know, I'm sure he's fine, but he speaks well and you're kind of drawn to that. But so does Tim Watson, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's such a different role these days too. Like, you know, all those people you're talking about are all in their fifties, you know, like they're, mm. they're, they're, they're almost aged out of, of the role. Now, if you look at, you know, the prototypical modern coach, like it's, it's a much more complex, it's more, much more moving parts than, you know, running drills and, you know, installing discipline. Like you've got to be like a, you've got to be a, a boss. You've got to be a psychologist. You've got to be a mate. You've got to be all these kind yeah. of things. And like, I, I'm not one who poo-poos this kind of new age AFL. I think it's great. I love the fact that there is an awareness around mental health and, you know, it's not a one size fits all for every player. You've got to make it like a, a, a safe work environment for everyone, not just players, but staff as well. But fuck, that would be a tremendously difficult job oh, to walk that yeah. tightrope every day. Plus having to front the media, especially if you're fronting the media after your team's lost like for the 10th week in a row. 100%. I mean, that's why Wayne Bennett, who's in his 70s, is possibly the greatest coach in this country. Um, he makes – in. Is he tactically? Yeah, he's, he's as good as anyone tactically. Yep. Um, but the fact that he's worked out everyone's personality in that team and knows exactly what level to actually speak to them at, what's going to resonate with them is is what makes him the greatest coach. And so um, there's not one, I mean, especially, especially now, um, the fire and brimstone's out. Uh, you, mm. you need to be able to actually communicate to everybody and on a one-on-one -on -one basis. And I think that's probably what, what he does. I'm, I'm, I'm sure it's, you know, I, I, um, I've got a, a tenuous connection with a couple of Carlton players now and they say, you know, what, what's great about Teague is how relaxed he is. Well, it's an it's an act, isn't it? Him being relaxed. He's not relaxed. It's fucking it's a nightmare. It's a nightmare of a job. But you've got to look like you're relaxed. You got to look like yeah. It's so cool. It's fine. You're not Brendan yeah. Bolton. You're not just chewing on snakes and, and stamping up and down the coach's box. Going to you know all five foot three if you're just screaming. That that's players will look at the replay and go, oh, that's fucked. Um, that doesn't make me feel great. Whereas Teague. Don't, see, don't read anything on his face and that's good that's really good yeah. for players because they look at the tapes I went down to Moorabbin at the start of this year to watch some training and um, uh, I'd sort of been hearing some things you know when Alan Richardson got moved on and it seemed to be like I think when uh, when Brett Ratton was hired as Alan Richardson's assistant that was essentially a kind of unspoken I know 
coach in waiting, you know, and mm. so Alan Richardson had that pressure without it being explicitly stated. And so I think when they exited Alan Richardson out, it was as respectful as you'll see a coach go. It's still horrible and awkward and, you know, having to front the media and stuff. But the change I noticed when I would visit the club after the two coaches was like night and day. And I think everyone respected and liked Alan Richardson, but it was that communication thing that uh, was missing, that ability to talk to anyone because the, uh, the training session I went to this year was so relaxed. Like the players were out there having so much fun like that. You know, you, you look at Richmond over the last four years and you, you're like, these guys are best friends. Look at them. They're telling jokes at three quarter time. They're hugging. They all hang out together. Like <laughs> they're all different, but they're all friendly. And it's like that. I want my team to have that bond. And I think that, you know, that's kind of hopefully what the Saints are developing. Or at least what I saw. And that is mainly due down to rats. Like the, um, the media manager who was showing me around that day was saying um, they talk about the cult of rats. Like everyone's mm. bought in and, you know, he makes an effort to kind of spend time with every department and give everyone some kind of ownership of what's going on at the club, which, funnily enough, is something that he's brought from Carlton. Mm. Mm. But because he, he made that mistake at Carlton, so he's, he's going, I won't make that again, you know, where he's trying to micromanage. Yeah, um, I, uh, that's so interesting. That's like, and it's also for me, it's a general, like, so Richardson was Malthouse's, um a protege they, they fell out but yeah. um you know so he, it's interesting for me it, it seems that malthouse's take on football's dated has been dated yeah. out and yeah sakilda just did nothing for me under richardson um yeah immediately is an improvement yeah, and it was funny actually. He, he it was Malthouse who came out this year. He said that this is the asterisk year, like whoever wins the flag. And it's like, are you kidding me? This is like the decathlon yeah. of the AFL season. Oh, whoever wins the premiership this year, like, it deserves an asterisk, yes, but to say what a win in yeah. the most trying of circumstances. Totally, totally. What a strange thing to say. Um, but yeah, I, I, I really think that, um, you know. And how can you not have empathy for rats for what he's been through? You know, yeah. it's, I, I think, God, something like that happening to you, you become a bit of a, you, just to get on with life, you have to become quite a Zen person anyway. And, um, yeah. and you know, uh, and I, you have to be almost otherworldly in your approach to life, I think, to actually coach. AFL, especially coach an AFL team to a premiership. I mean, mm. it's, uh, the, you know, you do see this, you do see, you know, those kind of, you know, when you, you see those great changes in people's personalities, um, it can happen when they become famous. Um, like I've had friends who've become ridiculously famous and their personalities change. Some of them, for the better, but they, it's like they go, I can calm down now. I can take a breath. I, you know, people now recognize my talents and they didn't before, you know. Um, I find that, you know, about four or five years sometimes into the system, you see AFL coaches change their personalities. Yeah. And um, if they're going to survive, they have to, and they're going to be successful, they have to. Like Jim yeah. has changed completely. Um, obviously Buckley's changed. Um, 
you know, Clarko, Clarko's changed, but I think Clarko's regressing. Clarko's getting even more wily. Like yeah. he's, uh, he's become increasingly wily because he's, he must see the writing on the wall now as well. Like mm. it's clear that Hawthorne are going into a rebuild and, you know, he's not, he's not a rebuild. Well, as far as we know, he might, knowing Clarko, he'll probably turn up to be the greatest rebuild coach <laughs> on the face of the planet. I'd never, never write off Clarko, never write off Hawthorne. Like you just can't underestimate him. But it will be interesting to see what happens next year if they have another mediocre year or finish in the bottom six. Because I think that Jeff Kennett and Hawthorne members, a little like, uh, Carlton, uh, a, a very used to success. Well, Carlton yeah. twenty years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. That's interesting. Like, I, like I, I would be so embarrassed to have Jeff Kennett as a president, especially now, and especially during the coronavirus and what he said. You know, it's so embarrassing. And you know, I, so Clarko must be pretty zen to actually put up with Kennett. And what mm. just the disrespect that Kennett's shown to him over the years, I find that's, you know, that's not a president. He's just a grandstander and. You know, I, th- I feel that I feel that Hawthorne's won four premierships in spite of Kennett. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, but you're right. I think that he could. I think you, he he's you he can never write off Clarko. Um, yeah. Strange, strange individual. Like um, Chris Scott, that's a person who's mm. changed. His personality yeah. has changed dramatically mm. in the last two years. The beard. <laughs> Like this one, right? See, like you, you are, you're totally Chris Scott. <laughs> I've always said to Scott Dooley that when we make the uh, James Heard telly movie, he'll play Scott Dooley. And he said, well, you have to make a cameo later on as Chris Bearded Chris Scott. That's, so. Mate, you, that's, he would. He does look like Hurdy. I used to walk yeah. past Hurdy's house because that was on my way um, on my way to the office because uh, we lived in Turak. And I used to walk past his house during the drug scandal. Oh man! And just see him sitting there at his desk working by himself, you know. Um, and uh, there was one. There was one time. It was this is before the drug scandal. I used to walk up this hill to Safeway in Turak, and I'm I'm a medium fast walker, but um, and I was kind of walking briskly. So are we talking like Kerry Kerry Saxby? Um, not not Saxby no. sedated. <laughs> you know just a brisk walk and, uh, yep. and i'm walking towards the, the shops and there was a family of four i think all blonde behind me and they're walking really slowly but they're gaining on me i go what's what's going on here and i turned around again and they're closer and i'm fucking okay i'm walking pretty quickly well these people are just loping how are they doing it and as they got closer it was the herds and it was like a herd of herds <laughs> herd of herds <laughs> Yeah, just looking, just able, just like you know that whole superhuman thing where they're just like Cover, just covering the ground. That's right. Like, yeah, gliding across the <laughs> across the concrete. No, Genetics. So you've got some hard times ahead of you, you guys. <laughs> so let's get back to Carlton for a bit. There's some questions I like to ask guests on this show, um, and the first one being when you first became aware of them. So when you're in Cairns and you're watching them on on TV, mm. who was the player that first captured your imagination? Obviously, the Dominator. Uh, so Wayne Johnson. Now tell me about Wayne Johnson because I, I, I don't. I think I wasn't aware of him when I started following football, but I've heard so much about him. Describe: Is there a modern equivalent? What kind of player was he? Okay, so he's smooth, amazing, amazing skills in and under. I uh, always turn up with the ball, but he. So he was like Dusty, 
in a like big game player, big game player, always came good in the final. So he's like Dusty in that regard. Whereas Dusty's a little more jagged, mm. and that pushing and that dominated smooth. Right, so like Nick Del Santo movements, yeah, yeah, dusty kind of frame, yeah, uh, smaller, obviously. So, so the Dominator, I just adored, and I, you know, and I like Fitzpatrick and and uh, um, Reese Jones. You know, Reese Jones was amazing because he um, he'd always be put on the toughest guy. Like I remember him being put on Lee Matthews a number of times and just holding him to account until he was stretched off at three quarter time. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't it Reese Jones and Clarko who got into that punch on in London, that exhibition oh, game? Yeah. Yeah, the, the Battle of Britain or whatever the Battle fuck of Britain. Called. Yeah, the two two hotheads. So um <laughs> I was in Stingers, cut to cut to All right. you know, twenty years later. <laughs> I, I or fifteen years later. I was in what did you say? It's a name drop. Name drop, yeah, <laughs> yeah, mate. Yeah. I should just have a warning before I speak because that's all I do. I'm not, I'm not interesting enough in myself. I do need to name drop. Um, stingers. So doing stingers. <laughs> um, Katie Kendall uh, was going through a bit of a tough time because the producers were telling her to lose weight. And um, and I, I just happened to be there and I was here to listen, hear the, 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 the shitty story that she was going through, you know, because I don't think you probably can – can you do that these days? You can't really. Can you? Did they do that right. I mean, I'm sure you can, but it would probably happen in a in a, in a different kind of way. It would be phrased differently, something along the lines of, uh, uh, we want you to uh, do the cover of Men's Health. <laughs> <laughs> just gotcha. leave the ball in your court, you know. Gotcha. That's smart. Yeah, we're gonna uh, yeah, we're gonna cast you in this role, but you're also doing a photo shoot for Men's Health in six weeks. So yeah, you do the math. <laughs> that's that's uh, really interesting. Yeah, not you look fat, lose weight. Yeah. Um, so that was the nineties. Um, so yeah, cut to say four years later, um, and it was the wedge. The I was in a sketch show, the much maligned the wedge. Um, it was 2006 and it was the, I think it was, you know, the Christmas party. And again, Russell Gilbert features, he was there. And um, Katie Kendall walks up to me and she gives me a hug and she says, I just want to thank you for listening to all that shit that I was going through. And I said, oh, no, no worries. And, and um, it was great to see her. And then Gilbert comes up to me and he goes, um, Adam, the dominator wants to talk to you. Shit, the Domino is here, and I hadn't put it together that he and Katie were at that stage starting to go out, and um, so I walk over there and I had my hand stretched out, shake his hand, and he wouldn't shake my hand. He goes, "What are you doing, hugging my missus?" No shit. And I went, "Are you kidding?" I said, (laughs) "She was just telling me, she was just thanking me for listening to you know a bad situation she was going through. I don't, you know." There's nothing, there's nothing underwater there. Domino, I'm your biggest fan, mate. I'm your biggest fan. What are you talking about? And yeah, and he, but he wasn't kind of convinced. He was still a little bit kind of pissed off with me. And I kind of stayed there for a little while listening to him talk to Gilbo and then just quietly walked off. But yeah, so oh, I met him this later. found 15-year-old Adam's wife and told him that oh, well, fuck, the yeah. Dominator was going to accuse him of pulling moves on his no, girlfriend. Right, yeah. I think they're married now. Um, but, yeah, it was – so So that was – so I got into them a little bit in 1980 um, and then it was the 81 grand final that I was right. I was on board. Um, 
82 grand final, I was definitely that was Richmond. Was that with the streaker? Can't remember. Can't oh, no, was I think 81 was streaker. Um, and I mean those those teams of the 80s are just chock a block with stars. It's crazy when you look amazing. at the list. And you and then then you you know you go to the 90s and you forget how amazing a player Kuda was. Um, yeah. And he like he won games. I mean, just off it. That, that that's he covered a lot of cracks, and um, and so when he kind of lost his spark, Carlton, that that was it. Yeah, he kind of for me feels like the sort of prototypical big-bodied midfielder that most teams have now, like your Bontempelli's or your yes. uh, Josh Sydney's Josh Kennedy. You know, because it was at least my impression of the game growing up was you know your body type determined the sort of role you, you played. Midfielders were generally like smaller size apart from the Ruckman and, you know, key, key position players are taller and stuff. But then to see a guy that size, that quick and that skillful, like everyone talks about the one-handed pickups, you know, and the books and stuff like that. But he was like a com- the complete package. I guess what you'd call him is utility, right? That would be mm. the old fashioned term for him. Um, is there a player that, uh, like uh, is all time your favourite? Is it one that you just sort of put above everyone else? Uh, Juddy. Um, and does Juddy feel like yours? Because, you know, he won a Brownlow at West Coast, but he did enough for him to feel exclusively like yours. I was so excited when he came over. It was just ridiculous, you know. I remember just refreshing, you know, refreshing all the time because <laughs> it was such a big deal. And um, uh, there was a couple of... There was a, just a couple of he didn't because he had to carry such a workload at Carlton. He wasn't able to do that kind of amazing stuff that he was able to do at West Coast. Maybe just may, may I have a sidebar here? If Westfield wasn't coaching West Coast, say if Clarko was coaching West Coast, they would have won three or four premierships. That team. I mean, I, I don't think Wush is a, an amazing coach. So. Um, <laughs> And and so he had all that. Be backup. careful, Briggs's aunt's going to lay a bloody curse on you. <laughs> She's <laughs> talking like that, or maybe now that Wush has moved on, maybe not. Maybe not. Like you know, you had Kerr and you had cousins, and so Juddy was able to do a bit more spectacular stuff at West Coast, whereas in, at Carlton he was double teamed, triple teamed every week. And he also had to establish like training standards. I mean, I I remember reading interviews with Fev talking about like you know, when Juddy arrived at like, you know, the first preseason training and, you know, players are, are knocking off and he's like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, you know, we do laps now, we work on endurance and stuff. And, and Fev's saying like, none of us had any idea what he was talking about. And he just had this like, you know, professionalism and determination. And it was like, there's only a few players you can imagine that you could sort of everyone get on my back and follow me. You know what I mean? Like Joel Selwood, I imagine is an, is another similar kind of player where it's like leader of men, and Juddy was definitely a leader of men. Mate, I, I've used that story as inspiration for myself, and and I and I actually say it to people in our industry. You know, it's like when Judd came to Carlton, th- those guys actually just thought. That champions grew on trees. They didn't realise that you actually put in. It was it was actually a product of huge amount of work, mm-hmm. and um, and I, I I noticed that with actors and writers, I I I am constantly surprised if I meet someone who's hugely successful and I get to know them quite well. They're working fucking hard, 
sure, they might they might be white and have a lot of privilege and being well educated along the way. I'm not arguing about that, but to say everything's equal and among the white privileged people, the people who are successful are working way harder than anybody else. And you know, I remember. I remember, you know, working with Jeffrey Rush a couple of times and him going, let's do that scene again. Let's do it in rehearsal. Let's do it again. Let's do it again. Let's hit this mark here and just keep on going over and over. And you go, oh, okay, it's not a mistake that you're a champion. You're a champion at what you do. Um, So, yeah, that Judd thing is very important. It's a great lesson, just a life lesson for anyone who wants to have a career. Yeah, you need to work fucking hard and effectively. Mm. Did you ever see, I mean, I'm sure you did, that footy show uh, clip where when it was Fev <laughs> roaming the Brownlow where he did the pressure points on Juddy. <laughs> he did the pressure points on Juddy. And it's like you've never seen a greater kind of like polarity <laughs> between two <laughs> men and two kind of players. Juddy with his beautiful, well-groomed wife in his like <laughs> tailored suit at the Brownlow where he's a favourite, you know, striding down the hallway, doing the press wall, and then drunk, slobby Fev <laughs> running up with a microphone and trying to put pressure points on him. And it was just like, you just see Judd fend him off like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, what are you doing? That's, like, this is- yeah, that, it's just the standard deviation between, if you did an IQ test of all the footballers, the standard deviation in the IQs would be enormous, possibly more than any other t- code. Um, yeah, yeah. You have sort of, you know, have people who are hugely intelligent, road scholars, and you have Fev. Um, and <laughs> and it's the same with actors, by the way, mate. Yeah. It, there's yeah. a huge standard deviation among us. There's no, like, lawyers, you, you've got to do a degree. So we're all, you're all around a similar kind of intelligence. You know, you, there'll be some spikes here and there, but you're around, you know, same with medicine. They weed out, they weed out sort of people. But, but with acting, you could be the most amazing fucking actor, but be as thick as a plank is just, and, and, and kind of hugely intelligent and be okay. Just be okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, I, I do, I do love those careers. You know, that Fev Juddy thing is like represents it's a what sitcom. our great, it's a sitcom. <laughs> what, what our great game is, you know, the, it's a broad church. It's a broad church, Charlie. <laughs> yeah, totally. Well, as, uh, uh, um, uh, I think I can't remember who, who it was. who was talking about someone asked, uh, a journalist or, or a sports commentator about why they love AFL. And they pointed out Lee Matthews and they said, see that short, stumpy yes. guy with a mo? <laughs> Best yeah. players ever played the game. <laughs> it's like, it's right. It's all inclusive. You can come from any background, be any body type, and you can be a champion in our game. Look at Ablett, Gary Ablett. I mean, yeah. what a kind of unusual body type that is. Um, yeah. and you got- Buddy Franklin. Buddy Franklin has the strangest body type like mm. he's, he's definitely fit like he's like a bloody racehorse or stallion <laughs> but he's got a like a weird belly have you noticed that yeah, yeah. It's it's like this kind of bad yeah. bod yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we, he runs he runs like a bow like he's just everything's comes from the hips just straight out yeah it's yeah it's so odd, upright odd yeah yeah <laughs> um no that that's that's true it's we're, we're, we're strange that there was a great i love all the lee matthews stories but um after just the week that you know the week of the grand final uh, Lethal said that Gary Ablett Jr. is the only player he's not furious when he's compared to. Right. That he's not furious to be compared to. 
Um, and you can say, so you go, yeah, look, those two funny little stocky guys, <laughs> two, of the, two of the greatest. But then you got Kerry. Yeah. He looks like someone who'd be good at anything, right? Yeah. Yeah. There's certain guys who have the strut. I mean, Carlton had plenty of those guys. That was my impression of, of Steve Kernahan. Like, I actually remember, and it's a game that, you know, you would not remember at all because, you know, this would be just par for the course for a Carlton supporter, but it was the Saints versus uh, a Carlton at Princess Park. I think, I want to say like 92, maybe earlier, 91, 92. And we never beat Carlton at Princess Park. And I remember we were like 30 points up at half time, and we, Stewie Lowe was dominating, you know, and... Doritich couldn't get a get a fist near him, and then it all turned at halftime, and we lost on the siren because Steve Kernahan decided to drill one from the boundary line, fifty meters out, and did it with such kind of confidence. Like I remember him putting his finger up, like seconds after it left his boot, and walking into the middle of the crowd, like one of those things where he didn't even have to look, and just being there and just mm. being like heartbroken, and it's just like. That's what it. That's what a champion is. That's what a champion looks yeah. like. That's a guy who's not used to failure. No. Oh, see, that that just goes to show the the power of a smoke and a beer at halftime, mate. Um, <laughs> just steadies the nerves. <laughs> uh, that, yeah, those great days. Yeah, walking off. I do find that interesting. The walk off when the balls travelled, say. 20 meters of a yeah. 50 meter kick, you know, walking off going, just no, I know, I know. <laughs> and it's like, um, it, it, I guess you just, yeah, your, um, your, your eye sees it a lot quicker, the tra- trajectory way quicker than your normal punter would actually see. They've, they've kicked 500 of these yeah. a week at training. They know what they know the movement of the ball. You know, did yeah. you, you've ever seen that footage of Michael Jordan doing the free throw with his eyes closed? Yeah. Like it is, this is what big dick energy is, you know, totally. athletes and superior athletes. Like that's part of it, you know. Uh, you, I'm not sure if you ever played like sport as a kid or whatever, but I, I was never, I was always a good ordinary player at anything I put my hand to. Mm. But the guys who are just natural talents, they carried themselves like natural talents. There was that Wayne Carey strut, that Steve Kernahan strut that they all have. And it's like, did the strut come before the ability or did the ability lead to the strut? Uh, that's I never, right. I that's never knew the thing. Yeah, I, I, there's Dowling. Because Wayne Carey looks amazing even these days. I don't know if you've seen him. He looks pretty buff. Um, but Des Dowling is a comedian. Uh, we did a charity cricket match. <laughs> Wayne turned up. He looked he looked amazing. And uh, Des goes, geez, Jeez, Doc, you, you've let yourself go. Um, <laughs> and I thought, yeah, I'm back in Australia. That's, you know, I was, uh, I was surprised that the Doc took that in good humour. Good. But, um, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I, I'm sorry, what, why, did I, why did I say that? What did you just say? <laughs> I, just told, I just told a story about Steve Gurney. No, no, just no, after no. that. Oh, fuck. Sorry, mate. Doesn't matter. Uh, my next question, and uh, I, I, again, I think maybe you've hinted at who this might be, but who's the biggest cult hero or cult figure in your time being a Carlton supporter? Is there one player who stands out? You know, that person is a bit left to centre or maybe not people outside the club aren't aware of. Hmm. Yeah, right. Uh, well, obviously there's Bristol, but uh, everyone's aware of that. The Sam Pang wrote this beautiful story once where he actually sat next to Bruce at a, at a game and I mean he is an enigma isn't he Rooster? yeah I mean you know to, to, so silent and um, I, I remember and, look, and looked 50 years old look, when he was in his 
thirties. <laughs> like he, al- he always looked old. Yeah, so did Bartlett, by the way. Why did they both yeah. look old? Um, there was a you know Parkin tried to drag him one day, and uh, Runner came out and and said, "You're off," and um, and Bruce just went, "That won't be happening." Tell, tell the coach <laughs> that won't be happening. And uh, and so run runs back. You know, he said it won't be happening, coach. <laughs> um, yeah. So it's Bruce Dool, obviously, obviously Eddie Betts, um, Mitch Robertson had a lot of kind of uh, uh, followers. But I think there's one person in the last 15, 20 years who's been such a toiler for the club and and so loved, and that's Cruiser. Yeah. Um, I just, just a rotten luck. Imagine what mm, he could have been with just a, a, a good run at it with injury. Yeah. Yeah. Just, and never complained. Uh, there's so much love for that guy. Um, I, you know, I wish him all the best and what a shame it's all over. What's your happiest memory being a Carlton supporter? 99 prelim for sure. And it was the day that not only did Brax beat Kennedy in the, um, in the election, Carlton, all the unexpected things happened. Brax unexpectedly beat Kennett. Carlton unexpectedly beat Essendon and Melbourne Storm unexpectedly beat Parramatta to get into the grand final. Um, so it was, God knows what was happening in the planets that day, but that was the last happy memory for most Carlton supporters. There was the Richmond final, which Juddy just lifted his decrepit body to actually help us win. Um, it couldn't do it the following week. But um, but that 99 prelim, I just remember it just being almost a spiritual experience and then Adam Briggs's aunt put a curse on us and that was it. <laughs> there is nothing quite like being at the ground when you win an important final, like a oh. prelim. You know, I was there um, in uh, 97 when we beat North Melbourne, who were the raging favourites to make the grand final. I was there... In 09 and 10, when we beat the Bulldogs, that uh, when uh, Nick Revolt did that kick off the ground in the goal square in the last two minutes to win the game. And it feels like in the hours after that, that anything is possible. Mm. Anything. Because you're in the grand final, you know. The nerves will come later. And I know this is hilarious. We're talking as if we're players. But, you know, from a supporter's <laughs> point of view, you just soak up that energy. You can't wait to read the newspaper the next day. You can't wait to listen to every sports radio show, every podcast. You just yes. want to – there's not enough sports media in that week leading up to the ground. So time. true, mate. So true. I mean, to be honest, any week where Cardinal wins, I'm like <laughs> watching 360 all week. It's uh, it's, it's sad. Yeah, I, I – um, so the 97 grand final was so interesting. And I was at Moorabbin for the 97 grand final. I was watching with all the Saints supporters because right. as I was at the Herald Sun and we had to uh, divvy up um, uh, who was going to what. Someone went, someone was at Adelaide and I was at, I was at Moorabbin and just the feeling with Nicky Winmar and his dad and, you know, and the whole thing about him not going to play and, um, and then he, and then him playing and it, it was such a, ah, uh, Oh, mate, it was such an interesting thing being among all those Saints supporters that day. 97 was – that was a, such a missed opportunity. We we lost Spider Everett in the first elimination final, broke his collarbone against Brisbane. Um, Stewie Lowe, the same week that Nicky Winmar's father died, he had a family 
tragedy happen as well. So you had two uh. players who minds were elsewhere and it just we just turned up, you know, needing a ruckman and needing our two best player two of our best five players, you know, to have huge games and it's funny I don't, I'm not sure if you're one of those guys who goes back and watches like, you know, the 99 grand final or anything like that, but I've finally been able to go back and watch the 97 grand final and I'm okay with it. Like when you see, it's kind of like if you were a Geelong supporter this year and saw what the Tigers did, how can you be mad? I mean, they were just an yeah. irresistible force. Dusty is a once in a generation player. And that's kind of how I felt 97 with Darren Jarman. Like that was one of the yeah. best quarters of football that anyone is going to play and it's like well it's kind of irrepressible still haven't had the stomach yet to go back and watch uh, 2009 2010 maybe in another 10 years time yeah. I, I seem to need to give myself 20 year breaks before i can get far enough away from it that it doesn't hurt i, I would argue that you don't need to do it to yourself mate. but <laughs> <laughs> yeah no uh, i i i see i'll look at quarters you know, so, yeah. but yeah, I like look at that final quarter. Not the reason that I look at that final quarter of the '99 uh, prelim is because a guy called uh, Adam White, um, he, who played 30 games for Carlton, he was on the ground at the time, and he's an editor, and he edited a show called Lowdown um, oh, that yeah, Matt yeah. And I made, and yeah, he now edits. Have you been paying attention and? And it was interesting. Like I know that he had a, a huge adjustment to make. There is a huge adjustment that needs to be made when you're, you're. If you've played in front of eighty thousand screaming fans, it's hard to adjust to normal life. Yeah. And it's hard to be an editor because you're taking notes all the time. You know, mm. you're being told what to do. It's like being a writer, you know, autobiographies are, I did it their way, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so it's kind of, I, I think I'm always amazed. It's like being a rock star. How do you, how do you assimilate back into normal life again after you've, after you've kicked a ball and 80,000 people are like on their feet? It's nothing gets as good as that again. I think a lot of them do struggle. <laughs> uh, yeah. What's, What's been your most crushing memory to do with the Carlton Football Club? Was there a game or a moment? Oh, mate, so many. Um, what was it this year? This year for me, that game against Hawthorne was just, we were playing <laughs> scintillating football for a quarter and a half and then we just stopped. What about that losing just... to Port Adelaide, the Robbie Gray kick after the siren? I mean, I guess that's slightly bombed by Jack Nunes, you know, a few weeks later, reversing it. But that <laughs> yeah, the, the kick out the siren and it gets at Port Adelaide, that, that got me. But, but I thought that was an aberration. I was pretty pleased how we played against Port Adelaide. Who, if I, if, correct me if I'm wrong, but they were top of the ladder, weren't they, at that stage? Yeah, they, the whole set, whole season, I think, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. So, so I, I was okay. I was kind of, st I was stoic about that. Whereas Hawthorne, because I was in LA and I remember um, uh, playing tennis with my mate Sean Grant, who's a Hawks supporter. He goes, "Oh, here we've got you in two weeks' time. Where uh, you're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna give us the toweling." And it looked like it was going to come to pass, and then we just stopped. And that that's something that's, you know, that whole notion that we play two quarters, three quarters of good football, and then we stop. And that's just been going on for decades now. And mm. um. But there's been that 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 there was a I was in I was at uh, Docklands 
that day that um St Kilda gave us a a, a real telling, and it was when when um Fev was misbehaving, and Pagan I got sent to full Pagan put him yeah Pagan put him on Garrick yeah that's <laughs> I was at that game too I remember uh, lastly. Adam, this has been great, by the way. Thanks again uh, for joining Pleasure, us buddy. on the show. Um, I always ask this of people because I, I, I think it, I don't know how I feel about it. I seem to change on this idea. But if the Carlton Football Club, and I hope it never happens, but if they were to fold, do you think you would pick another club and carry on or would you just become more of a, a, an objective uh, observer of AFL? Would you would, would have lost something for you? I'm glad you asked me that because the, there was a period – in the 90s where because i'm from queensland where i was really uh torn because i was going well shouldn't i shouldn't i be loyal to my state you know shouldn't i go for the bears uh as they were um and there was that that season where Robert Walls was should told i not he's- put johnny gastev's number on my back <laughs> <laughs> Warwick Capper, uh, Brad Hardy, um, Roger Merritt, David Bain. Who else is there? Oh, Mark Zanotti. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what was that big gangly play? Anyway, um, yeah. the, and I was thinking, should this happen? And there was that. That was the first final. Was against. Um, it was '95. It was against Bears versus Carlton, mm. and. And I remember the first quarter going, Who, what am I doing? What, what, should I go? Should I make a turn and go for the, go for the bears? And, and then like, no, it's just in your blood. And I, I don't know what I would do. I guess I'd just become a purist mate, but I'd probably go for Brisbane, but they're not my second favorite team. What's my second favorite team? Um, uh, no, I mean, I hate them all equally. Um, yeah, right. So it would be hard. It would be hard for you. Take, it, there's no obvious candidate. You might find love again, but there would definitely be a couple of years of mourning, right? What do people say, mate? To that question, that's a really good question. Um, uh, it's a it's a it's a mixed bag. Most people think they would find another team to latch onto that they have a, a second team. And St Kilda comes up a lot as people's second team because, like mm. we discussed, Bulldogs and Saints and Demons, non-threatening. Um, <laughs> and then the geographic. Thing is another factor like you know i've talked to people who are in sydney and they talk about well maybe gws and so i think mm. um i mean i like i said i oscillate because i think i'm i can't like this is in my blood my entire family back for the saints i would feel betrayed i actually once on two guys one cup we talked about um you know you must be happy if you're a fitzroy supporter uh, to see what the lions became like you know continuing the legacy mm. and the and the colors and the lion emblem and stuff and um, I had a couple of Lions supporters email in and say it was not great. And, you know, they felt mm. very shut out by Brisbane and not included at all. And this really? idea of, it wasn't like, if you follow the history of like South Melbourne to Sydney, that was a much different transition. You know, they, the members basically wanted them to go. Like there was a, obviously a group who, who didn't, but that was kind of a, a, a member driven decision. And there's a lot of support around that, but, the Fitzroy supporters felt like they had no choice in the matter and they were kind of, um, you know, left to rot on the vine, so to speak, and then yeah. made to feel like second-class citizens. So, you know, that's a merger. Um, so I don't know. Like, uh, look, if the Saints want to relocate to become the Byron Bay Saints, you know, I mean, I think maybe I could I could get behind that. Like, oh, that'd relocation. Be, that'd be great. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, look, 
my my agent uh, was a big was a big Fitzroy, and he he decided he made a decision. He just went, oh, I'm going, I love football. I'm going for Brisbane, and he did. He just yeah. bit the bullet, and he was one of the first to do it among the, among his Fitzroy loving friends. Um, I think that's probably wise for your mental health just to make a decision. Um, but but yeah, it would look. I, okay, there's no way I would ever go for North Melbourne, even though Amanda's a Collingwood supporter. I can't go for Collingwood. Um, I'm not. I don't love either of the Adelaides. I don't love either of the you know the West Australian, Australian. clubs. Um, Sydney, I've got a soft spot for. Probably GWS, not interested. Um, obviously, none of the Victorian clubs because it's just too close to home. It's like you know. I, I, I feel what like about the I, Gold Coast. Is that is that a compromise? They're a Queensland team, sort of harking back yeah, to your roots a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. I just yeah. Not I, I, I'd probably go Sydney before Gold Coast. Right. Okay. Sorry. What was that, mate? No, I was going to say they haven't been around long enough for you to to have developed any baggage, any <laughs> resentment to the Gold Coast, so you can sort of glow in there clean. I do love Stewie Jew. Yeah. I mean that 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 two thousand and seven was it two thousand seven Grand Final Grand Final. Oh, no, 2008. Um, 2008. I mean, yeah. that, like, see a fat guy running around just doing that kind of stuff. <laughs> Amazing. Adam, thank you so much for doing the show. And uh, any predictions no worries, about Charlie. Carlton in 2021? Look, I, I think if I think if we can sneak into the eight, that's a win. Um, it, it, obviously, with the team we have now, I, I, we should be a little higher. But if we get if we get eighth, that's 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 great. I'll be doing handstands. Thank Don't know you. if it's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, man! Thank you so much. We are two guys, one car. Well, I hope you enjoyed that chat with Adam Zwar. Just to let you know, two guys, one cup. My club will be taking a little break over Christmas, uh, but we'll be back in the first week of January with a brand new episode with Alex Williams talking about the GWS Giants. Uh, But for now, have a great Christmas. Thanks for supporting the show all year. And remember, play on, not 15.